Hello, fellow listeners. Welcome to Food for Thought, where we inspire you to think and feed you knowledge that can be applied to your everyday life. I'm your host, Juan Cruz. And I finally found my first advertisement that I'm going to do. So this is going to be a car advertisement. Now, most of the time, a lot of these car advertisements that get done, um, a lot of these people don't actually have experiences when they went out to go buy this car. Me, I'm actually very lucky because I find my, I found myself in a little bit of a bind. So I had a Honda Odyssey, and this Honda Odyssey that I had, uh, the let's see, the um, I was driving. I think it was on a Saturday night. Now the car engine was already having a little bit of a problem because of a situation that I had had, but the piston was making this sound. And a lot of people were telling me, listen, get oil, put it in there, and it's just you need more oil. I tried everything, uh, so please don't come sending me messages about how I could have fixed the Honda Odyssey, please. I tried almost everything, tried four different mechanics. It was just a piston, it was going, finally the engine ended up seizing up and just died, literally on a hill. So I think if I'm not mistaken, maybe about two weeks later, um, to a week later, more or less, um, I ended up getting a car. Now, how's the whole situation, how this happened? So I walked into the dealership. Now, mind you, I've always bought everything cash. Everything in my life has always been cash. God has always blessed our family enough to have enough cash, always to be able to do the things that we need to do. So... I thought that I would never need my credit to be at 100%. Now, my credit wasn't at the greatest, but it wasn't like just drop dead into the ground already buried. So, um, kind of like, you know, those credit karma commercials that they always do where they go and they check their credit. And they're like, oh, it's not that bad. I can fix it. Mine was fixable. So, um, I ended up going to Wheeling City Ford and I walked in there. And they ended up working out a great deal. Now, mind you, I needed a Ford Transit. Everyone uh, that listens to this podcast, in case if you didn't know from past podcasts that I've done with my wife or just that I've spoken about it multiple times, now I have five kids now and I have a sixth one on the way and plus me and my wife. Now, my wife does a lot of the errands with the kids, grocery shopping, um, you know, Everything. She does everything with the kids. Now, the Honda Odyssey was becoming a tight fit. Now, for most of you parents out there, you know that these car seats, you know, they're supposed to take up one chair and they take up like two and a half chairs. Those things are massively big. They're so wide. I mean, they they sit wider than the average human being. So you put one chair in the back. You know, it says that if it's three, three people back there. Now, that chair is supposed to take up the space of one person. But you put the chair all the way in the back and you think that you'd be able to fit three car seats all the way in the back because I have all three of my kids are small. My poor daughter, she's still small, so she needs to go into booster seats. I couldn't fit three car seats, so it was illegal really for my kids to be inside of the van the way that I was driving it. So um, I always had to put, you know, uh, two car seats, then a seat belt in the middle in between those two car seats all the way in the back row, and then I would put another two car seats in the front. Now, that already fit me t- 
tight as it was. How was I going to fit the six kid? So uh, I was searching for a Ford Transit. I thought that these Ford Transits were going to be so easy to find. It was, I mean, impossible to find these things. Now, I had overheard a lot that these things were very difficult to find. And I always thought to myself, how hard could it be? And I started looking around in multiple places. I mean, it got to the point that there were some places that would have accepted my credit and the amount of money that I was putting down and everything. And every time that I was going in to do that, it was just boom, you know, just uh, uh, they just wouldn't. Um, uh, the, by the by, the time that I would go in there to actually buy, or by the time that I would set up the whole uh, credit application, that moment would come, and then all of a sudden, gone. You know, I'd call up and they'd tell me, "Listen, somebody bought the van." So this is the situation that I find my, I found myself in in multiple times. So finally, in the end, um. Oh, and then another thing that made it hard to get this this type of van is that it's also a commercial van. That's another problem. So usually your credit score, at a decent credit score, you can get yourself a regular car, regular van, at a, at a with with a regular down small down payment, nothing massive, even with some somewhat of a good credit score. Now the commercial vans are harder. And I have somewhat of a decent, you know, and, and it wasn't the greatest, but it was there. So what happens? Um, I finally go into Wailing City Ford and I just told them, look, this is the scenario. And of course, I walk in there like most places and I told them this is the scenario. And they told me that they had one. So I go and check it out. Come to be that they have a cargo van. I pull they you know, I get in there and they pull up this cargo van. And I see the cargo van and I tell them, I'm like, that's not the van that I was looking for. I'm looking for a passenger van. So they felt bad. Now, this is where everything that I was gonna thought was going to turn into a bad experience because I called them up before this and I said, hey, listen, do you guys got something? I need something right now. I'm buying a van today. Where and how and how much down payment I need to put? I don't care, but I'm buying a van today. So I walk in there and they told me that they had the Transit 250. I walk in. And that's a scenario I just told you about. And they pull up this cargo van and I'm like, no, you guys did not understand what I was saying. So I thought this was going to be a bad experience like most car dealerships. Now, this is where most of you have probably had the same experience that uh, I'm having right now. Now, this was the experience that I've had multiple times before. They hook you and they tell you that they got the car. And then you get in there. And as soon as you get in there, what happens? They suck you into another car and they begin to tell you, hey, listen, how about you buy this car and then you get this car? And then you, what happens is you get stuck paying for a car that you don't like. And this becomes a problem. At least I think it becomes a problem. Because when you're buying and paying for a car that you don't like, this does not give you the motivation to go to work to work for this car. I always think it's very important that when you go and buy a car, you get it at a good price, you know, it, that, that it's affordable for you to pay, and that you love the car. Because if you don't love the car, every day that you go to work, you're going to be pissed off that you're paying for this car and there's no motivation. Eventually, you know, you're more likely to not make the payments. 
So I thought that this was going to be the same scenario as with most car sales. I get there and uh, they tell me, oh, that's not the car. They pulled up the Suburban, a Suburban SUV, uh, Chevy Suburban, which was beautiful. I love the way it looked. And it did meet all my needs. So they, they were looking for the needs that I was, you know, they just felt bad. They told me, listen, you know, we know you need a car right now and you're trying to buy a car today. Like, listen, this is this this is this SUV that we have and it fits all the needs. It had all the space. It was beautiful. I loved it. But as I've said multiple times, I think on this podcast, we're a growing family. So what happens if I have one more kid? I told myself. I'm like, I'm just putting myself in the same scenario all over again. Forget about it. So I thought, okay, this is just, this is going to turn into the same exact scenario as every dealership. Now, at this point, I'm dealing with uh, this uh, young man called Bruno Aparicio. Great sales guy. He listened to everything that I said. He goes and he talks to the sales manager. The sales manager is Aaron Barsher, Bar- Barsher more or less like that. If I got your name wrong, I'm so sorry, man. But great sales manager, Aaron, at Willing City Ford. So I go in there, and I thought to myself, this is about to turn into the same scenario. I thought I was going to waste my time. So what happened? They ended up telling me pretty much, we're going to find you the car. So I thought to myself, okay. We put in the credit app, uh, put the down payment uh, they pretty much approved me more or less for a, a transit, which that was difficult enough as it is, but they found a way to make that happen. So I was like, okay, this is great. Then he tells me that he found a van. Nice. It's going to be a 12 passenger. 2019. I was shooting for a 2016, but they ended up getting me in for a 2019 at a great price. So then I told myself, oh my God. I'm like, thank God. Thank God. This is so great. This worked out perfect. Then after all this, um, you know, we're all set, approved, everything pretty much down payment. It's all going to work out. I start working out and then I'm like, wait a minute. I never told him what exactly. Like I told him I needed a 12 passenger for transit, but I had forgotten. And here he had already, he just spoken to the guy who uh, I guess he has some connection to get a car that for transit somewhere else. And he knew someone and. For other people, it was hard to get the four chances. They were just telling me, listen, if we don't got it here, sorry, man. It's like impossible to find. So sorry about that. Unless it's a brand new one, we can kind of get them for you. So I said, oh. So, But Aaron didn't tell me that. Aaron said, I can get you one. Made a few phone calls right there. Boom. He got me a four transit. Now, mind you, he doesn't just do this with four transits. This is with a whole bunch of other cars that he does this with, too. So don't think... Um, also, there's another uh, guy there, uh, another sales manager. His name is Darnell. So both of them did a real good job in regards to both of this. So I was like, wow. Immediately they found the car. Great. As I'm leaving, everything's all done. Pretty much down payment, everything. They're going to find me the Ford Transit. It'll be there in a few days. I forgot to tell them that I wanted a medium roof. My wife has scoliosis. So with her scoliosis... I, I always look for her um, because in the Ford Transit, you get the medium roof. She can stand up. She's not hunched over, and it doesn't hurt her back too much. Anyways, I walk back in there, and I told him, listen, I tell Darnell, can you tell Aaron that I needed a medium roof? So I leave. 
he ends up telling me, he says that as soon as I left, he looked at the manager, general manager, and was like, oh my God, he just switched it on me. So I thought it wasn't going to happen because let alone just to find a Ford Transit is hard. So he ends up finding a Ford Transit and he does me one better because he found me one in black. Blacks are hard to find in the Ford Transits. He found me a medium roof black Ford Transit 350 with the extra cargo space in the back, still with the 12th passenger in a 2019 beautiful Ford Transit. Worked out everything that I needed to do and did not turn into a hassle. Hassle-free. When I mean hassle-free, it was hassle-free. And mind you, I've gone into Wailing City Ford before, and if uh, I've told them the things that I've needed, and if they haven't, and they say that they can't, they'll tell you right then and there. They won't even waste your time. They're just going to tell you, listen, we can't do it. But we know someone else who might be able to do it. You should go check these people out. They will try their best. I saw them trying to match the price with someone else. Somebody else had came in there with a great price. And they were trying so hard to match the price of the interest. I was eavesdropping a little bit. Kind of nosy on my part. But anyways, I saw that they were trying so hard to match the price. And they did it. And they told the guy in the end, listen, we can't do it. We tried. This is our best offer. We just can't. Sorry about that. Now, mind you, I think the guy was lying a little bit. I think he was trying to get the most out of them. But still, he, they still tried matching the price. And they got really, really close. So, for me, uh, I had a great experience. Now, mind you, in between this, they gave me a car rental. Because I was going to go a few days without, this, uh, without a car. Normally, you trade in a car, and then meanwhile, you don't have a car, they give you a car rental. That's what most dealerships would do. But by the time, you know, if they see that you're walking without a car, well, they usually say, well, you never had a car when you walked in, so why are we going to give you a rental? Because you never had a car when you walked in. What did they do? They ended up giving me a rental until my car came, and I never gave them a car to begin with. I never traded in the car. I mean, the customer service was just phenomenal with this place. Bruno was even thought about little things that I didn't even think about. Now, when they went out for the Ford Transit, there was the, the, the you have the 150, the 250, and the 350. Now, the 350 has extra cargo space in the back. Now, I had told them that I needed a lot of space for the double strollers. The 150 and the 250, if I'm not mistaken, they don't have the extra cargo space in the back. Now, he thought about that for me because I had told him that I needed to put the double strollers, groceries, and everything. I would have needed to take out the last seats in the back row in order to have that extra cargo space, which was my plan in the end. But I didn't know that the 350 had that extra cargo space, and he had seen that in advance for me and thought about it. So when I when they went out to look for the car, he put that into play. Thinking ahead as a sales manager, which you don't see a lot. Now, mind you, I've bought so many cars from so many different places. I've 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 uh, leased cars. I've bought cars outright. I've um, uh, made payments to finance cars. Everything, and never had this experience. And honestly, Wailing City Ford did such a good job. 
that this is becoming my first advertisement for this podcast, Wailing City Ford. So if you need someone, you want to buy a car, preferably a Ford, they also have a Lincoln and Mazda there. You want a car? Check out Wailing City Ford in New London on Broad Street. So to Aaron, the sales manager, thank you so much. And then also to uh, Bruno Aparicio as a sales uh, rep. Now, that was a long advertisement. So now let's take a crack at this. The topic of truth. Now, this is something that I really, really want to get into real bad because um, I think the topic of truth is so hard. How do you talk about truth? I mean, how often do we truly say what is true? Now, it's easy to tell the truth when the truth that you're saying is something good. So, for instance... If I'm saying that I went out and gave $100 to somebody, that's so easy to tell the truth. Now, to tell the truth when you've done something bad, this is the hard part. Because how often do we find somebody, I mean, who's truly virtuous? I mean, like their moral character, their moral compass is just pointed in the right direction all the time, every time. This is the hard part. Because I think if we were to search deep within ourselves, we would realize that we're not that great of a people. I mean, it's so hard to accept that you're not good. A lot of people, you're listening to this podcast and you're probably telling yourself, I'm a good person. I mean, come on. How can you tell me that I'm bad? I mean, we all look at ourselves. None of us wake up in the, in the morning in the mirror and look at ourselves in the mirror and say to ourselves, I'm a horrible human being. No, nobody says this to themselves. Everybody looks in the mirror and tells themselves, I am a good human being. Because nobody ever likes to really think that they're bad. I mean, this is the beautiful thing that the Christians have. You know, the Christians, they get baptized because they want to take away this original sin. Now, what's this original sin? The original sin is to think that you are like God. And what is God? The concept of God is that only God is good. And if only God is good, and we think that we are gods, we think that we are good. So they want to take away this original sin when you get baptized. That's the point of being baptized. Because if you think, if you understand that only God is good, then that means that you understand that you have some evil within you. And if you understand that you have some evil within you, then you work towards good. But if you think that you're good, then you have nothing to work towards because you're already good. And if you lie to yourself and think that you are already perfect, well then, you can be a malignant person and you will never change because you think that you are good. So, this is why I say it's easy to tell the truth when you think that you are a good human being. You tell the truth all the time. But how many of us are truly virtuous? How many of us are truly good? So many of us have a lot of bad things within us. Many of us have a lot of hidden skeletons in our closet that we don't like to speak about. And I don't judge. Honestly, I mean this. 
I, I've done so many bad things in my life, and it's very hard for me. I, I was a massive liar when I was younger, and it, it progressively got worse and worse and worse. And I, I'm by no means, this is a very hard thing. This is why I said it's a very hard thing for me to talk about, because not until recently, until like the last seven, six months, maybe three months, I don't even know, have I really tried my hardest to tell the truth. This had to be one of the most difficult things, tasks that I think I've faced myself with lately, trying to tell the truth. Now, um, th- this has been so hard for me lately because I realized that sometimes when you tell the truth, it hurts. And you think to yourself, you know, telling the truth, how... How is it a good thing sometimes? You know, let's put it this way. I like in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, it explains how every time that God speaks, right? Every time that God speaks in, in, in the Bible, he speaks truth. And every time that he speaks day one, you know, he explains about, you know, the world's in chaos and everything. But at the end of each day, you know, I'm not going to get into details of each day, but at the end of each day, he says, and it was good. Every time he spoke, notice in the book of Genesis that it never says that he moved his hands around and he kicked his feet and he breathed and blew all over the place. And no, it says that he spoke, right? You know, it it just, he spoke. That's it. All he did was just and everything just came into existence. So you see, you know, he he he's he spoke the world into existence. Something very beautiful. Now we see if I tell the truth all the time, it will bring the best possible life to fruition. That sounds pretty good, right? But maybe some of you think to yourself, no, that's dumb. Okay, because you say to yourself, well, what if my wife asks me, do I look fat? Now, this is very hard because some of you think, how do I, how do I touch that topic without entering into a hurricane and tornado and whirlwind of hell that I'm going to die for saying Maybe what might be the truth. So you say to yourself, a white lie is okay. Okay, now let's play this whole scenario out. You say a white lie and you tell your wife, let's say she weighs, um, I'm throwing a number out there, okay? Let's say she weighs 275 pounds. Okay, no judgment, right? We're living in a big judgmental world right now. No judgment. I'm just saying, let's say she lives two, she's, 275 pounds. Now, if you tell her the truth, I'm not saying to tell the truth as in to hurt people's feelings. Now, listen very closely because I don't want people going out there telling their wives that they're fat because I don't think that this is right. Okay? But let's say you tell her, honey, I know that maybe you're not the healthiest right now. This is such a hard thing to be able to say to your wife because the last thing you want is to hurt her feelings because you know if you hurt her feelings, 
what happens? She starts to cry and this becomes a whole drama. And you're scared to confront yourself of the reality of what this truth is going to do, that it's going to hurt their feelings. Now, what can happen? Two things. Maybe she opens her eyes and if you said it with love, she opens her eyes and realizes that maybe I'm a little bit unhealthy and maybe I should lose a little bit of weight. And maybe she gets healthier. And maybe because she loses some weight, she has less pounds on her. She's able to do dishes at home. She's able to clean up the house because there's a lot less weight. So there's a lot less fatigue. So her bones hurt less. So since her bones hurt less, she's able to pull a little bit more of a load or weight at home. Now, a massive ripple effect happens because you told the truth. Now, this is interesting. But to say that truth is so hard. So what do we do? We call it a white lie. We say, no, honey, you look great. Now, maybe you did tell the truth that she does look great. And and you think that your wife is beautiful. And maybe she's not right at the exact weight that she needs to be. But she didn't ask you that question. She said, honey, do I look fat? And you answered the question by avoiding it and lying to her. And you said, honey, you look beautiful. In other words, you told her, you're not fat, you're beautiful. Now, it's just a wordplay. But us men, we know what we're doing. We know that we're telling them, you'll look gorgeous, honey. You're not fat. Normally, when somebody asks you a question, they're looking for a direct answer. Nobody's looking for, and notice how the women will accept it because deep inside, they don't want to hear it. Deep inside, they know that they're overweight a little bit because they know that they're unhealthy. And and what they want inside them is to be able to be, the truth to be told. But at the same time, they don't want to hear the truth. So they accept, they know what you're doing, but they accept that little white lie that just came their way because it makes them feel better. Now let's say to ourselves, if I tell the lie, if I if I lie all the time, it will bring the best possible life to fruition. Now we know damn well that that is not the truth. Because only a psychopath lives in a lie. Only a demented person, a pathological liar, Only these people live within lies all the time. So, we obviously, I don't think anybody would agree and say that if I lie all the time, it will bring the best possible fruition to life. No, I don't think any of us agree on that. So we see if we bring, if we talk and speak the truth all the time, it will bring the best possible fruition to life. As difficult as it sounds, you know, it's, it's, it's very beautiful because in the book of the Apocalypse, it explains how God's word is, you know, it explains in, in this one part how there's a sword coming out of his mouth and it's a, and it's a uh, double-edged sword. And it's very beautiful because God's word is the truth and, and it's so precise. You know, I always say, be precise in your speech. I, I've always believed that. Say the words and and be careful what you say. I've always thought that. Be very precise in your speech. But anyways, we'll get into that topic later. But this word 
this sword that comes out of his mouth, it's a dual-edged sword. And it's very important because truth hurts. A lot of the times, we're very scared to ask for the truth. You know, many of us say, I can handle the truth. I can handle the truth. But ask somebody to tell you the truth that's not scared to tell you the truth. I mean, that's truly not scared. Ask somebody who hates you. Somebody who hates you is going to tell you the truth. And they're going to hit you more with the truth than probably anybody else. Because somebody who loves you, you know, sometimes the affection of the person, we don't want to lose their affection. So we lie to them a little bit. We dibble and dabble around the truth a little bit so it doesn't hurt them. Because we don't want to see them sad. But somebody who hates you, they don't care if they see you sad or not. Ask them if you look fat. They'll tell you, yeah, you look fat. Ask them if you're a proud, arrogant, neurotic, psychopathic, who knows what, demented person. They're going to tell you everything in the book that you are. And we probably are. We just won't accept it. So we see this. You know, uh, the truth is very hard to accept. Somebody who who tells us the truth, it also has a dual edge purpose when the truth is spoken. With one side, it cuts off an evil within us. Because if somebody tells us the truth that we're arrogant, then we have one choice. It's really only one choice. We have to accept that their word is. I mean, we can do. We can go another way. We can say, listen, I, I don't believe that. You're an arrogant. But it does leave a seed planted that maybe you are an arrogant person. And then the thought begins to grow within you and you begin to self-meditate. Who am I? Am I really an arrogant person? So we see how the truth, you know, has this dual edge. It's like a dual edged sword. With one side, it cuts and it hurts, but with another side, it heals. So one side that hurts you, the other side is also doing the job of healing and taking off all this malignant side that. That hurts, but it heals you in the end. To cut off all this bad on you is a good thing. If we were to be able to truly accept everything that everybody tells us, I mean, think about how good of people we would be. The hard part is to tell the truth. I like this saying from Frederick Nietzsche. He says, You can tell someone's morality according to how they accept the truth. When someone tells us this truth is very uh, difficult for us to accept, accept within us, because deep inside we've built a false concept of ourselves. And when this concept of ourselves is completely broken, our reality is shattered. So this is what makes it so difficult for us to be able, you know, to accept the truth. And I think that all of us truly, um, truly want to live a virtuous life. The hard thing is, is living in a lie. It's, it's, it's so easy, really, in a way, but it's also so hard. I mean, because if we continue to live a lie, then we think that we are good. And if we think that we are good, we believe that we have nothing to change. So we continue to live this muddy, moldy, bacterious life. But if we can learn to live in truth, 
then we can truly become a virtuous man, a good man, a good human being. Because every time the truth is told to us, a part of us that is malignant, a part of us uh, dies. Because evil and good cannot coexist in the same place. We cannot coexist in the same reality. So when the truth is told to us, we are left with two choices. Continue to live a lie, which is evil, or to accept the truth, which is good. You know, in the, in the Bible... It is said that the devil is the lord of lies. And we can all agree, you know, that the devil does represent this evil, this malignant side, this this evil thing. You know, but but you, you see how I had said in the book of Genesis, every time that God speaks the truth, you know, so so the devil represents the evil and God represents the truth. And the only way that the evil can die is if the truth is spoken. So we see, you know, even in, 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 the, in the Bible, the way to fight the lie is always to speak the truth. In the Bible, I mean, whether you like it or not, even those of you who are atheists, I mean, this has withstood such uh, moral ground for so long. So it's a beautiful thing. So, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, we tell a lie because it's so much easier. But the thing about a lie is that it is beautiful in the beginning and then it's a demon monster at the end waiting to devour you. I mean, I think in some way we've all experienced this where we've been in a scenario where we think that to tell the lie is a good thing. And we say to ourselves, okay, if I just lie to my wife that this moment that I went to gamble or this moment that I... uh cheated on her or flirted with somebody or I went out to drink you know it's you think it's a good thing at the beginning it looks beautiful because you can escape that moment of the reaction of the person that you know that it's going to bother you and it's going to hurt them so if you tell the truth you run into a bad scenario but if you tell a lie well things turn out beautiful for that moment no fight happens nobody gets hurt like we say, no harm, no foul. Okay, let's turn a blind eye to this. But here's the thing. I mean, a, a lie will catch up to you sooner or later. Eventually, that comes back. Eventually, eventually that wife, because since you lie, you get away with it. And it gives you... Uh, like this, this gasoline to want to keep doing this over and over because you got away with it the first time. She didn't check the bank account. She didn't check the money. She didn't see that 10 extra dollars went away, 20, 30, 40, 60, 100, who knows what. So you got away with it the first time. So you say to yourself, um, I'm not going to do it again. But because you got away with it, the temptation comes around the second time. And then... It's hard to fight it off because you think you you know I beat it the first time, I can beat it the second time too. So you beat it the second time and then the third time and then the fourth time. And eventually it catches up to you. Because then it gets easier to get away. You know, every time you take an extra five dollars out of the bank account, and eventually those five dollars that over the course of a year turn into who knows how much. You know, those five dollars turn into an extra $500. And then the lie becomes so big 
that in order for you to get away with 500 bucks coming out from the bank account, you're like, well, uh, somebody hacked the account and money came out and then the lie is getting even bigger. So before it was a small little lie. Now the lie has got to get bigger because the damage that you did was bigger. So to hide the bigger, the bigger the damage done, the bigger the lie that needs to be said in order to hide it. So we see that that eventually the wife is not going to be an idiot. So she's going to start to catch on. So she's going to follow your every move. And because now you've built a habit and the habit is hard to kick, eventually she catches you in what you're doing. And now if you would have told her in the beginning what you did, maybe she would have gotten a little bit pissed off. But now that this thing is so huge and she, she, she sees that you've been doing it now for a year to a year and a half to two years to three years or four years, who knows how long this addict or this addiction or this habit can go until eventually they get caught on. So what happens? Eventually the wife gets pissed off because she sees you've been doing it for four years. And she looks at you like, who's this liar that I've been living with for so long that has been lying, cheating? Every time that we've needed to buy stuff and there hasn't been money in the bank account, it's been his fault. I mean, you see how now she's hating you because you've damaged the kids. You've damaged the possibility of food being on the table, of you going on a vacation. Who knows? I mean, many of you maybe have been through this and maybe you're scared to say, you know, but eventually the lie catches up to you. I've experienced this in my own family and that's why I speak about it. Because eventually the lie will catch up to you. And you can only hold off the lie for so long. Till eventually it becomes this demon monster at the end. Just waiting for it to come out. So this hatred from the other person can devour you. Which reasonably so. They have all the right to be pissed off at you. Because a lie will always catch up to you sooner or later. But the truth is the exact opposite. It's difficult in the beginning and it's beautiful at the end because in the end, you know what happens if you tell the truth? She gives you hell for it and because you don't want to go through it again, you say to yourself, I can't do this again. I just can't. I got to stop. So what do you do? You do stop. And maybe she watches over you a little bit closer because she thinks you're going to do it. And maybe you do have the impulse to want to do it again right away. So because she's watching you, you don't do it. And then you, after this, this, this feeling, this emotion of that high that you got from doing whatever it is that you did, the dust settles. And after the dust settles, you look over and you say, God, that was such a dumb decision that I did. Why did I do that? Sometimes we need a moment to back away from the stupid thing that we did to just take a moment to realize that was a dumb decision. A man who chooses to live in truth is a virtuous man. I mean, a truly good man. A man who decides to tell the truth every time is a truly virtuous man because it takes a lot of courage and virtue to live in truth all the time. In the Bible, there's this saying that says, Worthy is he who decides in his heart this holy journey. Who decides to follow God. Because in order for you to follow God, you really have to try to live in the truth. Maybe you don't live in... I'm not saying that because... And this is maybe a misconception that people have. Because you're a church person, you're going to live in truth. No, no, no. 
it's this is why it says it's it's a journey. It's a journey towards God. And what is God? God is the truth. So it's a journey to try to live in the truth. And the truth is so much more extensive. I mean, the truth is 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 big. And I mean it takes a truly virtuous man to decide to say, I want to live in the truth all the time and I don't want to lie. Because many of us want to try to hide all of our little secrets. You do something bad, this is why I say, many of us have many skeletons hidden in the closet. And if it's hidden in the closet, in order for you to hide it, you've had to lie. And if that skeleton's hidden in the closet, you've had to lie to keep it there. But the person who tells the truth, the Christian who tells the truth, he works and prays and struggles always every day to try to tell the truth. It's not that he's a good human being. It's that he's working towards the truth. He's hoping that one day he can truly become a good man. And I mean, because to follow God is to follow good. And the only possible way to do good is to tell the truth. This is the only way that we can follow God. This is why in order for us to be able to live in truth, the foundation of which we live our life upon must be based on truth. Because if we start from a lie, then everything else that I base my statement on can grow on a lie. For instance, if I tell you that the sky is green, I can say that it is green because the grass is green. And I can lie on that statement. I can say, the sky is green because the grass is green. And I can continue to grow from that lie. Why is the grass green? Well, uh, the grass is green because, um, who knows, I can, I can continue to make up lies from there. And I could say, well, the grass is green because the oxygen that it takes in and with the photons mixed with it all together makes the grass green. And why is the oxygen there? Why is the photons there? The photons are there because the neurons, and I can make up lie after lie after lie after lie. But then if somebody comes along and speaks the truth next to the lie that I just said, so I just made up all this lie about the sky is green because the grass is green. You know, I based it off the sky being green. Now somebody comes up to me and tells me, listen, that sky is blue. And I tell them, no, the sky is green. Well, I tell them, well, what color is the grass? And they can tell me, the grass is green. And I can tell them, I agree that the grass is green. So we both agree. We have a common ground. We say that the grass is green. Yes. We both agree the grass is green. Yes, yes. Okay. So the sky that we look up, up at, is that the same color as the grass? Now the man will eventually say, no, it's not the same color. Okay. So why are you calling the sky green and the grass green, but yet those are two different colors? Now, I can tell him because now we're looking at a truth. We have a visual truth that we can both look at. And the visual truth is that he's claiming that they're both green and they're both different colors. And we can both visually see that together. So then I can tell him, we obviously know that that sky is blue. Now, why is the sky blue? Because the water is blue. Why is the water blue? And I can continue... And what I can do is I can destroy his whole lie based on truth because truth is immutable. You cannot deny truth. Truth will withstand the test of time. This is why detectives, when, when they go 
and, and they interrogate somebody, they ask them the story over and over and they ask them the same question in different forms to get them to say the same story seven different ways. Because if the truth is the truth, then you remember it. And it's a visual thing. But if it's a lie, guess what? You got to keep remembering that lie. And you have to have it down to the detail set perfect. Because if you don't, as they ask you the questions and they ask you 10 different ways, eventually you're going to lie on one of those and they'll catch you. Because in the first time you said it, this changed. Second time you said it, that changed. And the fourth time you said it, this changed. The seventh time you said it, this changed. So, but a person who tells the truth, and detectives can see this, every time that they tell the truth, when they're telling the story of whatever it is that they happen, it always holds true because the truth is set in stone. All you got to do is look at the stone, remember that night, and say the truth. And when you say that truth, boom, you're set free. So we see that this is how, you know, uh, this is what happens, you know, with us. That when somebody comes to break the truth, like I give you the example of the sky in, in my version of the sky being blue and the other man's version of the sky being green, I can break this man's reality. And this is the danger of living in a lie, that you build this alternate reality. And what happens? That when somebody comes to pop this bubble, now, if you've been living the last 20 years within a lie, and I come to tell you the truth, one small truth, that doesn't add up to the 20 years of lies that you've been living in. And, and let's say the root of your foundation is who knows what. Let's say I'm just saying, you know, let's say that it's a stone. And I come to say that it's sand. And I can prove that it's sand. And you've built everything off from this who knows what. And I can prove the foundation of all that you've lived your in life upon is false. And it's based on true science, cold, hard facts, cross-examined in 10 different ways. And it's just immutable truth. Then guess what? I just popped your bubble for the last 20 years that you've been living in. And then your whole life becomes a lie. And because man is so proud and it's so hard for us to accept that maybe our whole life has been a lie, we get depressed. And this is difficult for some human beings. So what do they do? Instead of just accepting that that's the truth, they just continue to live a lie because it's so hard to admit that the last 20 years, because if you say the last 20 years of my life have been a lie, the last 20 years of your life, you feel like you've wasted it. The last 20 years are meaningless. Or you can take it another way and say to yourself, geez, that's why I can't be a proud human being and I always have to search for truth. But very few of us will do that. This is why some scientists will stay so cold, hard. Like they, they, will be, they will stay stuck to their science because they refuse to believe that the last 10 years of their hard work science, all their studies have been a waste. And some guy comes along and debunks it in one year and proves that it's all a lie. So what do they do? They find different ways. And after there's so many millions of dollars of funding gone into this, I mean, it's hard for them to look at the 
people who have sponsored them for so many years and say, hey, listen, I wasted all your money. I mean, it's so hard when you're so devoured, when, you, when you've gone so far in to just say, I'm wrong. And what I was living in was a lie. I mean, this is a, a really hard thing to do. So this is why you can't judge somebody when, when they, it's so hard for them to tell the truth. It's very difficult. So we see, you know, you know, the, there's also this one last thing where Pontius Pilate in the Bible is very interesting to me. Pontius Pilate asked Jesus Christ at one point. He asks, and what is the truth? Because Pontius Pilate, now, if you know a little bit of the history of Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate was, uh, he was the governor. And if I'm not mistaken, if my history is right, which I think I'm right, Pontius Pilate was a very intellectual man. And he had kind of created some problems for Caesar. So when he goes over, now, now Caesar was a man who lived very impulsively. Caesar was a man who, uh, you know, did crazy amounts of things. And Pontius Pilate was a man who was kind of like a very intellectual man, seeking truth. He was always seeking like intellect. Where is it? Where is life? Where is it at? You know, and he kind of created a little bit of problems in other places for Caesar. So Caesar kind of sent him um, you know, over to where Jesus was at to govern that area. So this was why when Jesus Christ is about to get crucified, he gets scared because uh, he, he's trying to let go of Jesus because he sees that Jesus is an innocent man. If you read the Bible, it says that he knew that the reason why the Jewish people were turning over Jesus is because that they were jealous of him. So he knew this. So he was trying to get them to just say, listen, this is an innocent man. I'm going to let him go free. I'm going to whip him, you know, because you guys say that he's been lying and he's been saying that he's God. Okay, well, I'm going to whip him and then I'm going to let him go. And then the Jewish people say, "If you know, he's been claiming that he's God and, and we have no other person that we bow down to except Caesar. So if you let him go, then guess what? Then you you are going against Caesar. Because Caesar had sent him there, because he had already kind of created some other problems, some other places, he wanted no more problems. So he was scared that if he brought another problem to Caesar, Caesar was going to just either remove him or kill him. So what does he do? He freaks out. And he says, I can't do this. And, and what does he do? He goes inside like a room. I forgot what it is that they call it, but he goes inside of a room and he begins to speak with Jesus. And he says to himself, what is the truth? Now, Pontius Pilate had already kind of, tried, he, he tried seeking the truth and he couldn't find the truth. Now, in that time, you know, that, that was a time of mathematics, science, you know, the Greeks were huge in that time. I mean, they were one of the most intellectual people in that time, if I'm not mistaken, they were one of the smarter of, of all the the different nations. You know, they were big in philosophy, and a lot of them were very studied in multiple areas. Uh, so what happens? 
you know, he, he wants to seek the truth. And in those times, you know, people would say one thing and, and, and a lot of things had been debunked at that time. You know, people would, would say, well, this is this. And then later on they would find out, no, it's like this, you know, and, you know, I forgot what it was, you know, but a few different things had been debunked around that time. So he's like, we, we claim one thing and then we claim that it's another thing. And then we claim one thing and then we claim another thing. So what is the truth? And we're kind of living in that time right now where we think that we know the truth. And we think that everything that we that we say is true. You know, it's interesting because we thought that for so long that light could not be slowed down or stopped. And you think to yourself, well, if light can be slowed down or stopped, that's solid truth. So we thought for so many years there's no way for us to slow down light or stop light completely. Well, guess what? That's been debunked. Because if you put light in negative 450 degree Fahrenheit, if I'm not mistaken, it slows down or completely stops. I'm not sure. But it just, for the first time ever, you can see it. And we thought that for so long, the truth was you can't slow down light. This is what science thought. I mean, many of you probably thought this until I'm saying this right now. Google it. Just put, can you slow down light? Can you stop light? And it's going to tell you, put it in negative 450 degree Fahrenheit and boom, it can be stopped. So we see this. For so long, we thought that this was truth. And this is what Pontius Pilate had kind of seeked out. I mean, and think about it. We also thought that the earth was flat for so many years. For so many years, imagine being in that generation. Imagine being in the generation where people thought that the earth was flat. And then out of nowhere, from one day to the next, Christopher Columbus finds out that, boom, the earth is not flat. Guess what? It's round. I went all the way around and got to the other side. Now you tell yourself, oh, my God. For so many years, I thought that this was the truth. They thought that that was immutable truth, just like we thought that light could not be stopped or slowed down. We thought that that was immutable truth. So then what is the truth? What is the truth? What, how many things do we think, do we believe to be the truth today that we say to ourselves, this is the truth. And then we're going to find out in 10 years from now that it's not the truth. We don't have the exact science. We don't know anything. You know, I always tell people about the Big Bang Theory. You know, you, you have to think there has to be a God out there. There has to be something else out there. Why? Because put yourself in this. Let's say if you believe in the Big Bang Theory. More or less, let's, let's simplify the Big Bang Theory. Very, very simple. Let's simplify it so small. Let's say that the Big Bang Theory is true. That everything comes from this singular atom, right? Because the concept of the Big Bang Theory, you know, kind of um, putting it in simple terms, the universe is ever expanding. And if the universe is ever growing and it's, and it's always out there expanding constantly, well, then we have to think, let's stop time, okay? And let's reverse it now. And let's, let's reverse time as far back as we can go. 
Now, if you eventually reverse time, if, if something is expanding, that means at one point, if you reverse it, it begins to implode and it just comes down as far as it can go to one singular atom, right? Because something can't come out of nothing. So the only concept that they can get is that one atom just exploded the singularity. It just exploded. Poof, and then we have this massive universe. From one atom came this massive universe. Now the question comes to be is this. What put that first atom into existence? And you have to stop to think to yourself. Think about the brain that we have. It is composed of so much fat. Fat and water. And fat and water is controlling the smell that you can smell in the air. The taste every time you eat. The visuals that you can see. You can hear and you can feel. And all this can happen in one millisecond. Continuously. All in one. And at the same time, that same brain is running your heart, is running your liver, is running your lungs, is running all your nerves, is running every muscle in your body. It's controlling everything. I mean, we can't make a computer that can replicate the brain. I mean, we have machines with wiring and everything all in between. And yet we have this mush with no battery. There's a battery that controls everything in this world. It comes from sunlight. It comes from somewhere. Who knows what? And what do we have? We have vitamins that are giving us the energy and we sleep. And this, this, as we sleep, this piece of fat in our brain recharges. And then we're able to live another day again and work efficiently. And we heal. And the body heals itself and the body adapts I mean, think about the complexity of the human body, a DNA strand. We come from one DNA strand, and that one DNA strand replicates over and over and over and over and over and over and over. All these 24 chromosomes replicate over and over and over till we create this big human being that's sitting here listening to this podcast right now as I ramble on about this. Such an intellectual DNA strand creates this big human being. Look at your hands. Look at your feet. Look at your legs. How it's made so perfectly. The skin, the hair, the pores, everything. All that comes from your DNA strand that replicates over and over and over and over to create you who's listening to this podcast right now. Something so intellectual. Now, what was so smart that could create such an intellectual DNA strand? For something that intellectual, there has to be an even, an even more intellectual creator. Now, you're going to tell me that this whole human body came from nothing? Now, that's just one human being. Now, think about the deers, the frogs, the butterflies, the sun... How the whole circle of life works perfectly. And if you just take one piece out, we cease to exist. Because it just crumbles the whole animal kingdom. I mean, this is fascinating. This is interesting. How this whole world was created perfectly. 
to just work together. Work perfectly as one. Now, the Big Bang Theory, something had to, had to have been guiding us into existence. So what? That's like me telling you that I'm going to take the room that I'm sitting in right now, wherever room you're in, imagine now putting shelves around every single wall from top to bottom and just put every color of paint that you want. Orange, yellow, teal, blue, green, red, white, beige, black, who knows, ivory. Take every color that you can possibly imagine, put it in the room. Now take a grenade, throw it in the room, and close the door, let the explosion happen, and then you walk into this room, and you look up, and the Sistine Chapel is on the ceiling. Now, the Sistine Chapel is supposed to be like one of the most beautiful paintings of all that Michelangelo created. They call it like the painting of paintings, right? It's one of the best paintings in the world. So it says that you look up and now this this one grenade that just exploded created the Sistine Chapel. Now you're telling me that the Big Bang Theory created this beautiful masterpiece of a human being that we are. That explosion created the Sistine Chapel on the ceiling. We're the Sistine Chapel of this world. We're the most beautiful thing that's ever been created, I believe. So you're going to tell me that, that there wasn't a brush stroke in every move that, that was done? No, an explosion just put all those beautiful angels and paintings and the hand of God in the air and all these things. All that happened from one explosion. No. There was Michelangelo was painting and mixing colors together to be able to create just the right shading and just the right hand and the creases on every hand and the little angels and the clouds and, and everything. There was brush strokes to every movement. Everything had was fully thought out so that we could look at it years later. Michelangelo put so much thought because he wanted it to be the most beautiful thing that he had ever created for the church. Were the Sistine Chapel, something had to have been guiding the Big Bang Theory into existence. What was it? I say it was God. So now the topic comes back to this truth. So what is the truth? The truth is that God exists. And if God exists, he created us because he loved us. And God is love. And what is love? Love is unconditional. And what is unconditional love? It means that you never, ever, ever stop loving. There's no condition. You love until the day that you die. That nothing will ever stop you from loving somebody. There's no condition in which you will stop love. And who showed us love? This moment that Jesus Christ died. A perfect example. So, God is love and love is unconditional. And if this is true, in turn this gives us meaning and purpose.
because if God loves us, then he's looking at us from heaven. And if he's looking at us from heaven, then what? Then everything that we do has meaning. And it's so important that we tell the truth all the time. Because if we base the beginning of our existence off truth, then everything that we do from there on out and we continue to build truth on top of truth on top of truth on top of truth, then truth is unshakable. Our lives will be based on truth on unshakable grounds that nobody can just come and pop our bubble. But if you base your truth off of a lie, that there is no God in this existence, then everything you can base yourself from there on out is only a lie after a lie after a lie after a lie. And anybody can come and pop this bubble. So what is the truth? The truth is God exists. So this is the end of this podcast. I really hope that I was able to really put a dent in this concept this way of thinking, whatever you may call it, I don't know. I myself am trying to always live in the truth. I don't say that I do. But I hope this podcast helped you. If there is something that you like in this podcast, share it. Tell people about it. Let them know. Um, I still am getting a lot, a lot of feedback on this. And a lot of people are telling me that they like it. And I'm so glad that you guys like it. Put a five-star rating. Uh, at the bottom, you can leave comments letting me know what you think about it. Uh, I will continue to put out podcasts. Uh, the next one I'm going to try to take a crack at and speak a little bit on this topic is going to be on the coronavirus. Where is God in all this coronavirus? If we're being quarantined, well, I'm probably going to be putting out a podcast like every three to four days. Uh, hopefully this gives you all something to think about especially in this time where we're being stuck in our houses. So, once again, Wailing City Ford, massive thank you to everything that you have done. Big salute to you guys. Uh, all credit to Aaron and Bruno Aparicio. Honestly, you guys did a massive job. Once again, my first advertisement to Wailing City Ford. Now, mind you, I've been offered a few different for a few different ads and I denied them with money and I'm taking them on as part of my advertisement and I'm going to do a few more I'm going to advertise them in the beginning this is going to be the only time that I do these long advertisements with them but the next ones are just going to be small little 30 second clip as to my uh, advertisement with them so check them out Willing City Ford in London uh, you can give a call to Bruno Aparicio in Wailing City Ford. And Aaron is going to do, Aaron and Darnell are going to do the best possible job to be able to get you the cars that you need. And if they can't, they'll tell you straight out that they can't meet or match or find whatever it is that you need. So, and they'll give you a great deal. They really will. Uh, tell them that Juan sent you and they'll take good care of you. So, this is Juan signing out. If you like this, share this wherever it is. Let people know. Pass this podcast on. I'll hopefully be putting out another one in the next few days. So 
Have a good night. Take care. Until next time. And God bless.